on chair. And I'm glad to know I'll be back next month. Amen. So I'll be back with you again. Uh, I count it a privilege to share the word of the Lord with you. And my job, my task that I have, what I feel like God has impressed upon me is to really speak to you guys as young leaders. Yesterday, I talked about the potter's house and how God is shaping and forming your lives and to give you context to that. This morning, I want to talk to you about probably the single most important overarching theme or attribute you need as a leader. And if you can establish this in your life now, you can carry it with you and you will be sustained throughout the highs and lows, the ups and downs of life and ministry as well. So turn with me quickly to the book of James chapter 2. The second book of James chapter 2. Again, I pastor one church, Lima, Ohio. That is the name of the church, not the quantity of churches that I pastor. <laughs> one church. For years, our church name was New Life Church International. And when I took the pastor, that was the name of the church was the web address. What did you think about that? New Life Church International. So it took me 10 tries to get it right. <laughs> and so we wanted to come up with a name that reflected who we were. And so we went on this journey of just exploring who God has called us to be. And we landed on one church. And it fits us so well. Amen. Praise God. James chapter 2. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. So today I want to talk to you about being a friend of God. Being a friend of God. Ministry can sometimes cloud us of the fact that God primarily and fundamentally is relational. That when you have tasks, when you have things to perform and produce, when you've got production on your mind. It's very easy to forget that God primarily and fundamentally is relational. The Bible says Jesus prayed one night all night long. It was the night he called, and the gospel writers say that they were disciples, but at this minute he called them apostles. And the scripture says, he called them that they might be with him. With him. Then it talks about all the stuff they're called to do. But the primary function was to be with him. Never forget 
that the primary posture God has called us to is to be with him. People will get you frustrated. Stay with him. The task at times may be daunting. Stay with him. At times you may feel like quitting. Stay with him. You may find yourself in the grave like, uh, or the cave like Elijah saying, Lord, just let me die. Stay with him. Stay with him. Tell God, I, I want you to call me your friend. James is talking about this attribute that Father Abraham was known as, the friend of God. He knew how to talk to God, and God knew how to talk to him. God revealed the heart of his promise and the, and the role and the purpose that Abraham shared in that, in that purpose and in that promise. And this morning, I want to kind of unpack for you what I feel Abraham did that positioned him to be called the friend of God and challenge you and myself to do the same. So we're going to go back now to the book of Genesis and look at some individual times that I believe four times Abraham did things that set up a model, an example of how to attract God into your life to be your friend. Genesis chapter 12. Let's go there. The Bible says we know the Abrahamic call. God called Abraham to leave his father's house and leave his kindred and leave his brothers and go to a land that the Lord said, I will show you. And God said, I will bless you and I will make your name great. He said, you will be a blessing and I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you and in you all nations shall be blessed. And verse 4 says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken. Let me tell you the first thing Abraham did to make God his friend. Abraham valued the call of God on his life. He valued the call of God on his life. The call of God on the life of Father Abraham was a reality that he lived into. He was willing to walk away from the status quo and the routine and the, and the rhythmic side of his life and step out into this vast unknown simply because God called him. My brothers and sisters, as you live this life, treasure the call of God on your life. Never forget that God called you, that the Lord made choice of you, that God has sovereignly and supernaturally spoken to you, that he has established an assignment over your life. Treasure the call of God. Nurture the call of God. Train yourself into the call of God. Mature yourself in the call of God on your life. Celebrate the call of God on your life. Tell God I'm thankful that you called me. Just like you, I experienced a call. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, from a single-parent home. My mother was 16 when she gave birth to me. 
My grandmother was so angry with my mother, as any parent would be. My grandmother was angry that her daughter found herself 16 and pregnant. And as a mother, she was fussing with my mom. How could you let this happen? You've ruined your life. And my great-grandmother was alive then, who died when I was five years old. I still remember her. She stepped in the room, and my grandmother's name was Naomi. Naomi. She said, Naomi, leave that baby alone. Maybe God has a plan for that child's life. God took what was tragic and turned it into triumph. Hell lost another one. Listen to me. Don't forsake the call of God on your life. When God spoke to you at children's church or kids camp or youth camp or in the youth gathering, when you received a prophetic word, when God gave you a dream, when God gave you a vision, don't ever forsake it. I was 16 years old and I still remember and I still treasure the call of God on my life. When I think about that God chose me, I celebrate the call of God. All, 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 you know, John, uh, Jonathan asked me, he said, you want me to read your Bible? I said, no, you'd use up all my time, my speaking time. <laughs> you start talking about, uh, you know, when you, when you in something for almost 30 years, you, you just do a lot of stuff in 30 years, right? So I don't want you to just say I'm the mowing chair. That's enough. Listen, all this stuff you get can be a distraction to the fact that God has called you. Would you lift your hands right now and just begin to just tell Abba Father you're grateful to be called. God, I'm just grateful that you, that you made sovereign choice of me, that you chose, you selected me. I don't know why you chose me, but I'm so glad you marked my life out. You made choice of me, that I matter to you. And I'm going to honor, I'm going to protect, I'm going to preserve, I'm going to watch over, I'm going to nurture, I'm going to invest the rest of my life in doing what you called me to do. Abraham was a friend of God because he never forgot his calling. Oh, I know God is going to do mighty and wonderful and great things for you, probably things that you never have thought, fashioned, imagined, or even dreamed of. But never forget the call of God on your life. Number two, what's the second thing? Flip over one chapter. Genesis 13, verse 18. Not only did Abraham value the call of God on his life, watch this, number two, Abraham pursued God's presence. He pursued God's presence. The day you stop dancing, watch out. The day worship can go forth and you and, and, and your heart stops to get tugged, watch out. The day you are in a rich service where others are entering into the presence of God, but you feel alone and isolated, watch out. The day you put so much polish into your, your public persona 
to the neglect of your private spirituality. Watch out. Father Abraham pursued God. The Bible says in Genesis 13, 18, and Abraham moved his tent. See, Abraham was nomadic. So he would move a little bit, and then God would say stop, and he would stop. And he had to set up camp. So he had to pitch the tents. He had to build a latrine. He had to build a fence and a pen for all of his livestock and animals. He had to slaughter and butcher his meat in order to cook a meal. And everywhere Abraham went, the Bible says that he built an altar. Not only did Abraham pitch his tents, he built an altar. Abraham would build this place. He would take stones and rocks and fire and and build an altar and stand before this altar and invite God into the space. If you want to be God's friend, you got to know how to build altars. You got to be able to invite God into spaces. You got to build spaces in your life where God can, can be attracted to. Well, the Lord says, I know you value my presence and you desire my presence and you, you enjoy my presence. You built the altar. I'm going to come there and I'm going to abide there. I'm going to meet you there. All of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, the primitive fathers of our faith, they were altar builders. They didn't stay in one place. They were nomadic men moving with their families, but they would build altars. They just didn't pitch their tents. They built altars. The altar was where Abraham heard God speak to him. The altar was the place where Abraham revealed, God revealed his plan and purpose to Abraham. The altar is the place where Abraham experienced the presence of God. The altar is where God would talk to Abraham and Abraham would talk to him. If you want to be God's friend, build an altar. Create a space in your life where you can say, God, I've got this space here. You come now and fill it. This space belongs to you. And if you build a space for God, God will be attracted to it and he'll come. Solomon said when they built, when he dedicated the temple of God, he said, Lord, we know that if we, having built this place, ever face an enemy that overwhelms us, if we ever face circumstance that we don't know how to contend with, if we were just coming to this place, This place that we have built, this empty space that we invite you to fill it, you will turn our enemies around. You will curse the plagues that have come upon us. You will heal sickness and disease in our midst because we created a space for you. David said, how can I dwell in walled houses and the ark of God still be in the tent? I got to create a space for God to dwell. Listen, in your life, create a space for God to dwell. Do not become so busy doing things for God that you neglect pursuing the presence of the Lord because it is his his power and his might and his anointing and his spirit that does the work through us. So Abraham never forgot the call of God on his life. He never forsook building altars wherever he went. The third thing is, Abraham was a discipling leader. Abraham was a discipling leader. 
Pastor, what do you mean Abraham was a discipling leader? Discipleship is a New Testament concept. Just like our faith can be found in Abraham's life, so the, the early mentions of New Testament principles can be found in his life. Hear what God says about Father Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 19. God says of this man, God says of this man, watch this, for I know him. Oh, I know Abraham. I know him because when I called him, he, he left everything to follow my call. I know Abraham because we done spent some time together. He's created a space in his life for me to dwell. He says, I know Abraham. And I know he's going to order and command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord. That they are to do righteousness and justice before me. God says, I know Abraham is not going to be one that gets all of the knowledge and all of the information and keep it to himself. Abraham is not going to create a spiritual log jam in his life. But as Abraham receives, he's going to freely give. As I talk to him in those times of altar, as I minister to him, as I reveal myself to him, Abraham is going to take up the heavy lifting of passing the faith from one generation on to the next. You've got to be a good discipler. You've got to know how to take what you have and invest it in the life of others. Great Bible teacher, Dr. Howard Hendricks, who taught for years at Dallas Theological Seminary, said this. There are three relationships you need in your life that are critical. He said the first one is you need Paul. You need Paul. You need a spiritual father in your life, a mentor, somebody that's in a different phase, in a different space, in a different stage of life than you. You need somebody that's further along than you, that you can look at how they're conducting their life and living their life, and you can model their life. They become something noble that you can model and pattern yourself after. But then secondly, you need Silas. Silas is my brother. Silas my brother from another mother. Silas is the one that's in prison with me, and we, at midnight, pray and sing songs together. Silas is the one that walks with me through life. Silas is right there beside me. You need a friend in life, and then you need a Timothy. You need somebody that you're investing in, someone that can look up to you, that in their life you are their Paul. And so I challenge you right now, who is your Paul? Who is your Silas? Who is your Timothy? Where are you learning what it means to serve and follow the Lord, how to navigate the challenges of life, and being secure enough even for a leader to tell you, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure it out. Abraham was a good disciple. See, discipleship matters to God because that's how the faith gets handed from one generation to the next. I had an opportunity in 2019 to go to Israel. And it, it changed my life. And while we were there, they brought in a guy and his family who lived in India. His family has lived in India for generations. But he says, we got to India because of the Assyrian captivity. We knew that we were not Asian. We were Jews. And for generations, we practiced what the law of Moses said. 
And from generation to generation, the truth of the law of Moses was handed down and passed down to us. We are not Hindus. We are Jews. We were brought here against our will and we've lived amongst these people. But we knew we were Jews, that Israel was our home. And so when uh, the land was settled, he and his family and that entire tribe of people went back and returned back to Israel because they said, this is our home. And as I heard him tell this story, I got convicted in my heart and asked myself the hard question. Could my grandchildren's grandchildren, grandchildren's grandchildren say that I'm a Christian because of that man who first got us started? I got to make sure I disciple that I'm pouring into the next generation, pouring into young leaders, establishing them so that there could be a God of Abraham and a God of Isaac and a God of Jacob. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord. Abraham obeyed God in his call, pursued God's presence, was a discipling leader. And the last thing, Abraham lived a life of surrender. Genesis 22, verse 12 says, turn there with me. One day God, when Abraham is around his altar, the smoke covering Abraham's weakness, the fire representing God's presence, God speaks to him in one of these altar moments and says, I want that which is precious to you. I want Isaac. I gave you Isaac and now I want him back. Offer him as a sacrifice to me. And the Bible says that Abraham left. Left. And he took his servants with him. And the servants and Isaac made the journey. But there came a point where he turned to the servants and he says, you guys, servants, have to stay here. You can't go where the sun goes. And he takes Isaac up to the mountain. And while they're making the trek up the mountain, Isaac turns to his father. At this point, Isaac is 17 years old. He says to his old ancient father, Abraham, listen, I'm confused. I see we got the wood and we got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Like we ain't got a lamb, we ain't got a goat, we will not have anything to sacrifice. Abraham says, don't worry, son, God's going to provide. And as he makes that journey up to Mount Moriah and he builds another altar, this is not an altar of just convenience. Listen, altar times, building an altar is not about convenience. Altars are about sacrifice. And Abraham took that which was precious and laid it upon the altar. And right when he was ready to treat his son like he treated the lamb, God speaks and says, hold your hand. Don't harm the child. Because now I know that there is nothing more important in your life than me. And can I tell you that as an example, as a primitive model, we will all have, you will have times where God will come. It won't be every day. It won't be every week. It won't be every month. It won't be every year. But there'll be these moments in life where you will be asked to make a sacrifice. 
Well, God will say, are you willing to do this for me? Are you willing to do this because I ask it of you? Are you willing to say yes to me when others may say no? So if you want to be God's friend, you got to be able to, to say to him, I'm willing to say yes to you irregardless. I'm willing to say yes no matter the sacrifice. I'm willing to say yes. Let me t- I'll be honest with you. Lima is not the most attractive place to be. To get to where I live, you got to go through cornfields. You go past cows. And, and, and can I just be honest, along the way, you might pass a few Confederate flags too. But I told God, you called me here, and I'm going to stay here as long as you want me here. Because it's not about the people, and it's not about the place. It's about being your friend. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. And would you lift your hands to the Lord and just begin to say, I want to be your friend. Maybe you've forsaken your call. You're treating your call callously. Maybe you're here and you stopped building altars. You've gotten busy doing things, all of which are noble. But maybe you've neglected that spiritual place between you and God. Maybe you're not doing that which you need to pour into your own life and develop the lives of others. And maybe, just maybe, God is speaking to some of you about making some sacrifices in life. About taking a Nazarite vow and saying this is what you cannot do and this is what you won't do and you cannot give yourself to this. But right now in this moment, would you just lift your hands and begin to worship the Lord and just sanctify your life and say, God, I belong to you. I want you to say of me like you said of our father Abraham that he was called the friend of God. She was called the friend of God. Lord, that you could come and speak to me in my dreams. Lord, you could come and disrupt my life. I belong to you. It's not about my title. It's not about my position. It's not about any of that. I just want to serve you. I just want to love you. I just want to do your will. I know we got enough space, they said, for about 10 people to step up. Who's willing to say, I'm willing to step into that space and say, I'm a friend of God? Ten of you, who's willing to do that? Who's willing to come and say, I'll be God's friend? I'll be a modern-day Abraham. I'll honor the call of God on my life. I'll build altars in my life. I'll raise up and train up and disciple those underneath me. And whatever the sacrifice, I'll always tell the Lord, yes, I'll never tell him no. Come on, lift your hands to the, to the Lord. Reach out to him, reach out to him, reach out to him. Let's just take five minutes right now and just begin to fill this place with worship. Dr. Hagen told me this is a school of the spirit. Let's make some sounds like we're a Pentecostal room this morning. Can you just begin to pray in the spirit? Just build an altar right now. Allow the smoke and the fire to come. Tell the Lord, I'm the sacrifice this morning. 
I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm giving my life to you.